looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. He slept, all right? And so he, in his sovereignty, chose to limit himself in some areas. Now, there are certain things he does know beyond what a normal man would ever be able to know. That's when he took on the God part and chose to do that then. But his coming back again, for a reason that is only known to God, Jesus said even he did not know when he would come back again. So the question isn't, he didn't know if he's coming back. That's not it. He knew he's coming back. He spoke all about that. But he didn't know when he was coming back. And he left us in that situation as well. But stay with me. Go back to the same verse in Mark. It goes on to say this. This is where I really want to go. He says, even the Father, only the Father knows. So, therefore, you and me, Christians, take heed, watch, and pray. Circle the word take heed and the word watch and the word pray. For it says, for you do not know when the time is. So instead of me spending all my time reading sensational books written by some pretty good Bible guys out there on all the different things that are happening, trying to figure out when is the exact day he's coming back, I should spend more of my time abiding in the Word, allowing the Word to shape my attitude and my thinking, to make sure that I'm thinking and doing and speaking all that God wants me to do. And I'm going to let when he comes back be up to him because frankly, I don't care when he comes back in this sense. All he wants me to do is to live right, look forward to his soon coming, purify myself with this hope, and share the message with as many people as possible because he wants heaven populated. But his coming back, that's up to God the Father to reveal when that's going to happen. And it'll happen with an event, not so much just an announcement. Oh yeah, trumpet, archangel will shout, God will shout, all that. But there won't be all the verses that we're studying exactly when is it going to be. Now, we can talk more about that a little bit later. Let's go back to the passage here. Do you see how it says in 1 Thessalonians, watch? And then you see here again in Mark 13, it says, watch. That's an interesting word, the word watch or wake. I don't know that they use this term in military much any longer, but they would often say, if you're on sentry duty, you need to be on your watch. Well, they didn't mean just that you stay awake. There's a difference between staying awake and watching. I can be awake but I can miss some things. But if I'm watching, that means I'm anticipating something out there, an event, something's going to occur that God does not want me to miss. How many of you have ever done any form of whale watching before? Have you ever done that? I remember one time someone, when we first came to the island, said, boy, the best place to go is up to the lighthouse and look for whales. So Carol and I hiked all the way up to the white lighthouse. We waited hours and hours and hours. And either I don't know what a whale looks like or there was no whales there. But we looked and looked and looked and looked. Have you ever gone on a whale watch and not seen a whale? Would you raise your hand? Good. I'm glad there's others that are like that. Then there have been other times I've gone on a whale watch with an experienced whale watcher. Whatever that is. They just know how to spot them. Maybe it's the... And they know what it's going to do. How many times did they say, Oh, there's one over there. And I'd look, there's one out there. I'd look over there. I, I, I they're there. And then all of a sudden, I learned how to just spot that little puff way out near the horizon. And then I'd watch a little bit further and know that in a few minutes you're going to see it again just a little further down. And I began to see them. I could tell you that I've seen whales just sitting on the beach at Waikiki out there and people are spending, I don't know how much money to get on a boat to go see these things. Now here's my point. We can be awake and know that they're out there. We can be awake and 
actually be in the presence of them all. But unless we choose to watch and be alert to them happening, it's, gonna, it's not going to happen. Now, let me pause for a moment. Some of you might translate this into, okay, I have to watch for his coming. Again, he's going to come when he wants to come. I know that there's going to be a one world church, one world government, one world religion, all this stuff. I know that's all happening before he comes and touches the earth after the tribulation. I know all of that. But God says, what you want to watch though, is you want to be alert to the little foxes that come into your life that'll spoil your vine. Those little things that's going to hinder your intimacy with the one who is going to come back for you. So he says, be sober and watch how important that is. I remember my mom and dad, when they were a little bit older and I was old enough to be left home alone with my sister. You're at that weird age. You leave them home for three or four hours, but you can't leave them home for long. And my mom and dad would go out on a Friday night. That was their date night. And uh, I think it was just to go shopping and get away from because I'm such a... So anyway, <clears throat> my mom and dad say, you know, bedtime for you, son, is 8.30 and your sister's is 8 o'clock. So you guys shut the TV off and you go to bed. And you want to know, you're looking at a boy that was very obedient. And I went to bed at 8.30. My sister went to bed at 8 o'clock. I'd do that for two or three weeks, but I noticed that when I laid in bed at 8.30, mom and dad didn't come back at 8.31. They didn't come back at 9. I don't know where they went or what they did. That's not the issue. So I figured out that where the TV is and where the front door is and the jealousy windows are, that I could see them pull up into the driveway with their headlights on. And so all I'd have to do is kind of sit a certain way, watch the TV and watch those headlights, because when those headlights would come, bang, the TV would be off and I'd run and dive under my covers. That worked for a number of months. I got really good at this stuff until one day the front door just flew open. And my mom and dad somehow figured it out. They came the week before and they touched the top of the TV and it was way too hot. And so I got into trouble. My point is simply this. When you think he's coming and you know you have to give an account and you're looking forward to their coming, we're really focused. But the Lord says, I may not come back right away. I'm coming soon, but I'm not going to tell you the day nor the hour. How many of us now think we got this whole thing figured out and so we have one eye on the Lord and godliness and the other eye on doing what we want as long as it's not too bad? And the Lord's going to come back just like that. Now, I don't want you to think he's going to come back and squash us like a bug. But I will tell you this, he will be grieved. The Bible says that. So I need to be alert to his coming. I don't know what makes you alert in the morning. Is it a cup of coffee? Is it a shower? Is it a Diet Coke? What, what makes you alert in the morning? If I could give you a suggestion, maybe all of us need to be alert in the morning, realizing that Christ is coming back. And when we wake up in the morning, we think it could be today. Let's look at number three. It's kind of moving, if you'll notice, in a little bit of a progression. We're understanding he can come back, and I shouldn't be surprised, I need to be alert, but besides just being alert to the fact he's coming back, I need to exercise self-control. This is really huge as you look at this very carefully because I want to show you some different passages. Now watch. Let's read it together out loud, verses 8 through 10. Everybody, whatever version you have, just read it out loud with me. But let us who are of the day be sober, again, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, as you're looking at this for a moment, again, I'd like you to circle the word be sober. Over and over again, it talks about being awake, being sober, being alert. All right, now go back to the passage again. If you'll see here very carefully at the end, it says that whether we wake or sleep, here it's not referred so much as am I awake or am I sleeping at night. It's really referring to am I alive, that's the awake part, or if I sleep, that's the dead part. How do I know that? It's in the context of 1 Thessalonians and in other passages as well. So what he's saying here is that I have salvation through not my good works, not through my religion, but through Jesus Christ. And what about Christ? He died and he rose again to forgive me of all my sins. So it's through the work of Christ that I have salvation. Then it says that whether I'm dead or alive, it doesn't really matter, we will live together with him. And so what a great thing. But now if you'll notice in this passage, it does talk about being sober. And being sober is coming off of our thinking. Now I need you to listen carefully. I know we're just about done with our message and we're going to bring it to a close quickly now. But I need you to really listen. Because I want to talk about this self-control part because it is so critical. If I'm supposed to watch and be sober because the Lord is going to come back, for me to do that, then I have to make choices in my life. I have to choose to not do this and I have to choose to do that. About four weeks ago, we talked about living a moral, pure, pure life. We said the easiest way to say no to sin is when we choose through His power to say yes to Christ. So instead of fighting the no to sin so much, because that could drive us almost into legalism, depression, and guilt, we ought to be saying yes to righteousness so that when sin comes to us in a temptation form, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's terrible, man, yes to Christ. But to do that process takes self-control. Now you're tracking. That's why the next statement I want you to fill in and put a star by it is so critical. It is my self-control that comes from sober thinking not emotional reaction. Now that in itself is an entire message because a lot of people respond in their Christian life purely by emotion. Now I do think that there is this uh, degree of love and trust and joy. There is an emotion. Jesus was emotional. He cried. We know that. There was a sense of joy, the fullness of joy. There's peace. He's the author of peace. He's the source of peace. So there's an emotion thing there going on. But I want you to know that our whole life isn't just driven by emotions. And you will find that the Christians that struggle most with this whole concept of Christ coming back and how we live our life are those who somehow have lived most of their Christian life driven by an emotional drive rather than by a sober thinking drive. Now with that, follow along in these passages for just a moment here so you can see where we're coming with on this soberness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Get your pens ready. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action telling you what you do, get your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I want you to see sober thinking, right mind, helps you to function properly so that you're ready when Christ comes back again. So you notice that the link together is right thinking, not just emotional thinking about Christ coming back. Same book, same writer, author guide, chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Peter. Here's what you read. It says... The end of all things is near, and that's a big end of all things is near, because there's multiple ends, but we know this end is coming. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Circle all that, clear-minded, self-controlled, all together in one thought. 
Then it says, so that you can pray. But what are we looking at? The end is near. So he says what? Think right. Be self-controlled. And I think that's very, very important. Now, if I'm going to have my proper control, then I'm going to choose what to think about. And what I'm going to think about is the proper teaching of God's word, specifically about the person of Christ first, then about the work that he has done, because you can't separate the two, and I'm going to get it from his word. And when I do that, it elevates a degree of hope. I don't have an attitude of Christ is coming back. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. He's coming back. Sometimes Carol goes to the mainland without me because her family is there, as you well know, and they're elderly and they have needs. And I can't always go. So she'll go. I never put her on the plane and drive back to our little house in Kulio'o and say, I hope she comes back. Boy, I hope, I hope, I hope, hope she comes back. She's stuck with me. She's coming back. But I hope, I hope, I hope she's coming back. I have that hope that she's coming back. I keep the house pretty good. But I can tell you, the day before she arrives, or that day if she comes in the afternoon, I won't be at church. I hope you're not in the hospital. I won't be visiting you. Because I know she's showing up. And I want that house cleaner than when she left it. And that can probably never happen because she does such a good job. So I want you to see there's a choice that now gives me the hope because we have knowledge of who he is, that he's a God who keeps his word. That other verse in chapter 4, verse 7 also talks about so that we can pray. Now you might say, what's so big deal about that? And I've got to move quickly on this, but some of us, prayer can be something that is um, lackadaisical. We might pray our obligatory prayer before a meal, before we put our kids in bed. We might pray before an event or at the close of a meeting to bring it to a close. So we use prayer as little bookends of our life. And that's not what it's talking about. Here it's talking about building a relationship with him by communicating with him in this intimacy of conversation. It's a heart thing, a verbal thing, however it is, but we are connecting to God. Now to do that, I have to choose, and that's hard, folks. My world is as busy as yours, yours is as busy as mine. I got car problems, you got car problems. I got health issues, sometimes you got health issues. But because I know he's coming back, and I am now in a relationship with him, and I love him, then I soberly, consciously... Make the choices to prioritize my life so that I will be communicating with him. And we'll talk more about that in another week. But I want you to know so that I can pray. And the end is near and things are going to be happening more and more so. Just open the paper and see what's happening in our own island, in our own state. I think pretty soon, if we're not, we will be leading the state in the most liberal type of lifestyles that there is in our country. So I've got to make it work and I can do that. There's a couple of words right here. You can just put those down quickly. So I need to first put on the faith and love as a breastplate. The breastplate is neat. It's like um, a vest that a police officer would wear. And when they wear this, it's to protect their vital organs, hopefully, although we've lost a couple of police, police officers uh, two or three weeks ago, but they're to protect our vital organs. Yesterday, I was near Koalina, and I was talking to a, a man who's the private pilot of one of the Microsoft executives. So that he, 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 it's that plane and he just flies that executive all over the world. And he married this lady who's a police officer. And so I, I always thank police officers, as I do military people, for their sacrifice because they put themselves willfully in front of harm's way for our protection. And so I mentioned that to her. And he says, you know, Pastor, there's not a day that goes by when I watch my wife put on her vest and her two guns that I don't 
for the first time realized the seriousness of me not being able to see her come home alive. It's putting that on. And I'm wondering maybe if you and I would put on the breastplate of our constant faith and trust in the Lord and our love for Him. Now remember, we're to love others. We know enough scripture about that. But that love is going to be moderated by our love for Him. We will love outwardly properly when we love inwardly and upwardly first. So when we do that, that's this breastplate. And now we're going to be really ready. We, we do this in the morning to get ready. You made a choice to wear clothes today. Thank you that you made the right choice. Okay. But the point of the matter is you made that choice. So why don't we, when we choose in the morning, why don't we choose to put on the helmet here of our faith, of trusting God? I hope that we would do that. Some of us, when we get up in the morning, we put on anger and bitterness. We left it the night before. We wake up. We're still mad at our mate. We're angry at someone in our past. We're, we got all this junk going on. Or maybe some of us, we wake up in the morning. We're just as lazy in the morning as we were when we went to bed. We have no goals, no objectives, no desires, no passion. We feel we have no purpose. I hope that's not the case. Well, let's look at number four. And some of you think, how long are we going to go? The good news is I left number four for two weeks from today. We ought to be encouraging to other people. Notice what the verse says at the very end there of verse 11. It says this, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing now. Well, folks, I want to talk a lot about what the Bible says and how to rightfully encourage another person, especially knowing Christ is coming back, but as they have to live, not for the sweet by and by, but as your friends and loved ones have to live in the nasty here and now. Because the sweet by and by is coming, how do you make it this way? And the Lord tells us how to do that. I'm going to do that in two weeks right here. But in closing, look at this last verse in Hebrews chapter 9. It kind of says it all, doesn't it? Here's what it says. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, actually all of us, and he will appear a second time. So you see the first time he comes and the second time. Not to bear sin. Why? Because he already took care of that the first time, so he doesn't have to pay for sin again. He will come the second time to bring salvation, not judgment, to us because we're waiting for him. We know he's coming. We have trusted him as the one who came the first time to take all our sin on himself so we could have everlasting life. So friends, if you're here to hear today and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, you might hear a lot about Christ coming and your theology is coming from some Hollywood writer and some video or movie that you're seeing, but it's not going to be accurate according to the Bible. Because we love the Lord coming. We're not so caught up in the events. We're caught up in the, uh, the person about whom the event is for. I pray that you do that. Those of you who know Christ as your Savior, let me leave you with four encouragements. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because he's coming soon. Demonstrate some self-control in your life. And finally, be an encourager of others. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of these people in Thessalonica were worried about God's judgment. And that's why he said that you're going to be delivered from the wrath that's going to come if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I would like to give you a moment right here today to make sure that when the Lord comes back, you're not left behind. So maybe right now in the stillness of this moment that what you might hear is some traffic, some shuffling of some paper, the hum of the air conditioner, but in your soul, you're realizing that you're not absolutely certain that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You're not absolutely certain that your sins are paid for 
and that you do have an intimate relationship. When the, when the Lord comes back and He shows up with His heavenly bus, you're not going to get on. And I want you to know God loves you and Jesus Christ has already paid for your sin like He said He would do 2,000 years ago. But now you have to appropriate His righteousness and you do that not by promising God you'll start this or stop that or trying to do it by some social good deed. You come to Him as a sinner who knows you're separated from Him. Completely separated. And that when you die you'll spend eternity separated from Him in hell. Knowing that no good deed you do yourself will get you to heaven. That heaven is so perfect. And He even says it's not by works of righteousness. That you know that He did die and He rose again so your ticket's been paid for by His blood. He's handing it out to you right now in this room, right now. You that are listening on the radio or downloading this and hearing it. He's offering it to you right now. This is your moment. I don't know how many moments you'll have. Maybe years, decades, I don't know. But right now, this is your moment. And so here's what you do. You simply say, Lord, you told me that if I believe that you're the Lord who died and rose again, and it's not by my works, but if I would trust you, you'd give me eternal life. Right now, Lord, I am transferring my faith from all this other stuff I thought would help me to realizing that it's only in you. So you have my faith. You are the object of my trust. And thank you for returning that with your forgiveness. Now my friend, he says he'll do that. Jesus said, he that believes on me has everlasting life. And it's for you now that he'll come back and take you to be with him forever. But I'd like to know if today is the day you've trusted Christ. Maybe you've done it before, that's great. But just for those of you that today you're calling upon the Lord to be your Savior. And you'd like for me to pray for you. I'm not going to have you stand up and don't worry. I'm not going to have you come down an aisle. I, I know that here on the island it's more of a private thing. You can go public with it. You should. Talk to others about it. Tell me afterwards. Put it on your card. That little guest card. You know, I'll do all that. But right now, I want it to be just between you and the Lord. And then I'd like to pray for you. Now, me praying for you won't get you into heaven. You've trusted Christ as Savior in here today. I'm just welcoming you into God's forever family. But is there anyone here today that would feel safe enough in this loving environment here to just quietly with every head bowed and every eye closed so no one can see you? Would you like to slip up your hand and that's just your silent way to let me know that today you're trusting Christ as your Savior. Is there anyone today that says, I want Christ to come back for me too. And I'm trusting Him to be my forever Savior. Now you don't do that out loud. It's in your heart to the Lord. Would you like for me to pray for you? Would you slip up your hand right now? Can you put it up right now? Is there anyone at all? It's going to do that right now. Anyone? Anyone at all? Anybody? All right, Christians, let me just talk to you. I'm going to leave this part of this series and continue on with our First Thessalonians study, but I can't get too far from it because in every chapter of both First and Second Thessalonians, there's a reference to the coming of Christ. So therefore, will we purify ourselves with that hope? Will we live in a watchful expectant way knowing he could come back suddenly are we going to exercise the self-control by putting on the breastplate of faith and hope and slipping on our head the helmet of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ and if we've done all that then when others ask when are you coming back 
Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, last words. Don't worry about that right now. But you will receive power so you can become a witness for me to share that message with others. Are we ready now to do that? How many of you would like to have prayer because this has awakened within you the urgency of your need to live a holy life before Him, an obedient life, and you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone? God bless you. Father, we come before you as your children, and we do look forward to your coming, and it is you whom we love. And Lord, whatever you choose to allow us to go through, it's okay, because you said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So we can boldly say, you are our helper, and we won't fear man, because no matter what happens when this is all said and done, we're going to be forever with you the object of our eternal affection. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.